0: Amen. Thank you, Ruth, for that prayer. And as Ruth said in the prayer, we're going to be focusing on doubt this morning. We're continuing looking at the Book of Lamentations. We have five weeks in Lent, and five chapters in Lamentations. And so we'll actually uh we'll take a break next week. I'm not quite sure what uh book of the Bible or what topic Pastor Gary is preaching on, but we're going to continue with Lent or with Lamentations, chapter four today as the war in Ukraine continues, uh, it strikes me that, well, it's just hard for us to believe that this kind of destruction can happen today in our world. I think we would like to believe that we're civilized people that are, oops, sorry. I don't normally have that in front of me. We'd like to believe that our progress has made us incapable of such violence. There are many things that are hard for us to believe. And so this Sunday, as we continue our series on wicked problems, we are looking at doubt and struggles of faith, things that are hard for us to believe. Wicked problems are not simple problems with yes or no answers, and they're more complicated than complex problems that have a definite solution, even though several variables. A wicked problem has many dimensions. It's influenced by many factors and has no right solution. The best way forward depends on the context of all the factors and this is the heart of lament as well that so many of the things we lament are these wicked problems that are so complex and so in that we hold one another up and we hold each other or ourselves up to god lament turns our hearts and minds back to god in the midst of our struggles and our doubts which we're focusing on this morning So I'm going to continue. Uh, Normally the words would be on the screen for you, but this morning it's just a little simpler because we've had to pivot at the last minute. And so I'm going to read for for you from Lamentations chapter 4. We'll read verses 1 through 17 from the New International Version. And you can just uh, close your eyes if you want and listen to the words. Jeremiah here, I think, paints some rather vivid pictures, but you can also follow along if you've got a Bible handy at home. How the gold has lost its luster, the fine gold becomes dull. The sacred gems are scattered at every street corner. How the precious children of Zion, once worth their weight in gold, are now considered as pots of clay, the work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer their breasts to nurse their young, but my people have become heartless, like ostriches in the desert. Because of thirst, the infant's tongue sticks to the roof of its mouth. The children beg for bread, but no one gives it to them. Those who once ate delicacies are destitute in the streets. Those brought up in royal purple now lie on ash heaps. The punishment of my people is greater than that of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment without a hand turned to help her. The princes were brighter than snow and whiter than milk. Their bodies more ruddy than rubies, their appearance like lapis lazuli. But now they are blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It's become as dry as a stick. Those killed by the sword are better off than those who die by famine. Racked with hunger, they waste away for lack of food from the field. With their own hands, compassionate women have cooked their own children. Who became their food when my where my people were destroyed. The Lord has given full vent to his wrath. He has poured out his fierce anger. He has kindled a fire in Zion that consumed her foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor did any of the peoples of the world that enemies and foes could enter the gates of Jerusalem. But it happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed within her the blood of the righteous now they grope through the streets as if they were blind they are so defiled with blood that no one dares touch their garments go away you are unclean people cry to them away away don't touch us when they flee and wander about people among the nations say they can stay here no longer the lord himself has scattered them he is he no longer watches over them their priests are shown no honor their elders, no favor. Moreover, and this is our focus, especially this morning, moreover, our eyes failed, looking in vain for help. From our towers, we watched for a nation that could not save us. So far, the reading of God's word. <coughs> Excuse me, my throat's a little dry. Lamentations 4 offers us a description from the perspective of pain. Gold looks dull. Gems are thrown in the street as useless. Children are as disposable as cheap dishes. Beauty has turned to ashes and soot. As we think about doubt this morning, it strikes me that actually this is quite a poignant picture of doubt. The things that used to be so enchanted and so beautiful and valuable The things that used to be a source of strength and hope, they now seem disenchanted and plain. They're common, even painful to look at. We usually experience our doubts first in the midst of difficulty. Those of us who lose our faith in God or who wonder if we can believe what the Bible says or whether we can hope for the future. We don't end up in that place because we've had a lot of spare time on our hands and we decided it would be fun to think about this. We come to doubt because we have hopes or expectations that are not met. From our expecta- or from our perspective, one aspect of faith doesn't work the way that we had hoped or planned or desired. And so then we begin to question the whole. So often doubt comes in the midst of difficulty. But as I said in the introduction, doubt is a wicked problem. It's multidimensional. It's not just a result of one factor. And often, I think, sadly, our greatest struggle with doubt may not be that we doubt God or that we doubt his promises, but our greatest struggle with doubt might well be that when we doubt, we feel that we are no longer embraced in the family of God. This is the kind of interpersonal shame reaction that Lamentations describes in verse 15. The, away, go away, away, you are unclean, people cry to them. Away, away, don't touch us. People, too many of God's people feel that our doubts and struggles make us dirty or unwelcome. So doubt attacks us on at least two fronts or just two that we're going to touch on today. though even more than that. Doubt attacks us on the personal, uh, individual perspective that's challenged or broken, and also our communal relationships, our relationship or community that's threatened or destroyed. One of Satan's greatest lies in our individualistic culture is that we are alone. Whether we've spent our whole lives in the West or if we're immigrants, Satan loves to tell us that no one understands our struggles, that no one can but Satan is a liar. Personal doubt is both an individual experience and a communal and cultural phenomenon. 400 years ago in the 17th century in Europe, it was impossible not to believe in God. The culture's picture was inescapably supernatural. Everyone knew that demons lurked behind rocks and bushes and in dark places along the road. And everyone knew that the church provided protection and safety for daily life in a supernatural world. And so everyone in Europe went to church. Today, our Western culture has completely changed. We entertain ourselves with horror movies, but we don't expect the monster movie or the movie monsters to come to life. Even to our church's most faithful members, the ministry of the church can feel disconnected from and irrelevant to our daily lives. Books more than a 1,000 pages long and more than 100 books have been written on this topic, so I'm not going to try and do justice to it this morning of how we've gotten from there to here, right? How did we go from a place where 400 years ago it was impossible not to believe in God and today uh, it seems the norm the expectation but i do want to touch on just two dimensions of that shift first our western worldview since the enlightenment of the 17th and 18th century has shifted from a more magical and enchanted worldview to a scientific and skeptical one in the simplest way in order to understand how the world book work, works we look less and less to god for answers and more and more to ourselves this movement has driven science the pursuit of human understanding of our world it's driven individualism a personal drive to find and achieve answers and explanations and it's driven skepticism from Nietzsche famously saying god is dead to a more modern distrust of many institutions including the church and anyone outside of ourselves. Remember, excuse me, as I said above, uh, doubt is about losing perspective and losing community. It's about an individual perspective or individual intellectual perspective and about your relationships. And so there is an intellectual and relational component In the midst of this movement towards science, individualism, and skepticism, the church over the last 400 years wanted to reestablish a position of cultural power. And so the church attempted to control science intellectually, creating arguments among others for intelligent design based on what science could not explain. And so we ended up with a sort of God of the gaps that if science couldn't explain it, God was the answer. But this attempt failed because, as science explained, more and more, the God of the gaps became smaller and smaller. Both for secular people and for Christians. So the church tried to control relationally as well, or communally. resulted in many things globally, but most uh, significantly, or most difficult, in the most difficult way in Canada, is the residential school system this attempt to force indigenous people to betray their identity and become like white people is perhaps the worst example of among many of how control and coercion is ungodly and never works in relationships, but also how the church in partnership with the state tried to address forcefully the issue of doubt and unbelief in God at a communal level. Sadly, both these attempts by the church in the intellectual and the relational failed miserably and the world doubted or and the world that had already started to doubt the gospel story was led into further pain and suffering further doubt those two examples of intellectual control and relational control attempted i think to offer quick and forceful answers to doubt but instead they made the existing struggles much worse they even led to more doubt more loss of perspective and more loss of community Suncheon ra comments that much like jerusalem before the exile we too revert to base forms of desire and security these base forms that he talks about are not godly approaches to doubt and struggle they're human attempts to feel better about ourselves by controlling others In other words, these big examples of how the church has too often felt the need to have all the answers, to answer doubt quickly quickly and forcefully, these, these big answers illustrate that base form, but we as individuals make the same mistakes. When people are grieving or when people are wrestling with their faith, we too try to offer, or we're tempted at least, to try to offer quick and forceful explanations apart from our enduring relationship relational presence. Suppose, and I'm just going to create an imaginary scenario here. Suppose Max comes into my office and shares that he's not sure whether God loves him because he's struggling at his job and he can't see how to get his life on track. The worst thing that I could say to him is, look, Max, later you'll look back and see how this all works out. Or I had the same thing once and I got through it you will too, or even God does love you, even if you can't see it. If doubt is a loss of perspective and a loss of relationship, then we need to understand that these simple answers will always make the problem worse. They might make me, not, they might make me feel better for having said them, but the person who cannot see and who feels alone, now still cannot see, but he's been assured by someone else that they can see quite easily and simply. And now he feels even more separate and more alone. The one thing it seems that will not help doubt, or the first thing at least that will not help doubt, is more words. But wonderfully, we see that Jesus and scripture show us A better way. John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, had the job of announcing Jesus coming to earth. John was the baby who jumped in his mother's womb before he was even born when Jesus came into the room. John came out of the desert and took a stand against the Pharisees. He was even put in prison by Herod because of his godly challenge against Herod. But Matthew tells us That when john was in prison he heard about the deeds of the messiah he sent his disciples to ask jesus are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else after all that he had done for the kingdom of god and for god john the baptist still doubted jesus but look also at jesus response jesus said to john's disciples Go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus tells John and John's disciples to look and listen for the signs of the kingdom of God coming. And then he ends by saying, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, Jesus recognizes the, that doubt is an individual experience, but that holding doubt is a communal responsibility. Jesus notes his own responsibility to those who stumble with doubt. Later in the Gospels, Jesus has his famous interaction with Thomas, who doubted. Thomas says, unless I touch, I will not believe. Then Jesus appears to his disciples and he says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Again, Jesus offers a bigger perspective to Thomas while inviting him deeper into community, not pushing him to the margins. Jesus' body shows the intellectual proof and Jesus' presence answers Thomas' relational needs. John the Baptist, Thomas, and many others in Scripture all saw the world only through their own lens or their own perspective, as we all do. We all have our our own individual perspectives. And so also John and Thomas and many others, including us, doubt the possibility of Jesus' words, of his promises or his actions. They and we needed to see and hear a perspective beyond themselves, they needed to experience relational intimacy with Jesus to be able to underst- to, to be able to underst- understand and answer their doubt. Even in Scripture, as I just illustrated or I hope to briefly, we see that doubt is both an individual perspective or an intellectual dimension and a communal or relational dimension. To face doubt, we have to address both of these. If doubt is about losing perspective and losing relationship, then we probably shouldn't be surprised that our world is fuller than ever of doubt. Like John and Thomas, like others in scripture, we see everything through our own perspective. But our culture encourages us to develop only our personal perspective and to continue to distrust others Trusting only in our own perspective leads to a loss of greater perspective. Likewise, it leads to a loss of relationship and intimacy. We see things that we used to value lose their luster. Things that used to be beautiful become tainted. Our culture puts a lot of pressure on us as individuals. And the weight of our skepticism, our struggles, and our doubt makes us tired. We want to give up. And in our world, it's easy to give up. We want to look away. But again, Sun Chen Ra suggests that Lamentations 4 reminds us to persist, even as our energy fades. The conditions of suffering persist, and so we must persist as well. Those final words from Sun Chen Ra, I think, are key. We must persist. Very simply, we must persist because God persists, and we are his people. Because doubt can't be faced individually, and it can't be faced momentarily with cheap or easy answers. And in the midst of our increasingly skeptical world, God continues to persist. And the biggest part of God's persistence in his world is giving his Holy Spirit to one community, a community that's specifically designed to walk alongside people in the long term through the joys and sorrows of life. I'm not talking about one specific ethnic group or age group. I'm talking about the church. Pursuing persisting in lament, even persisting in struggle and in doubt is necessary because the conditions of suffering persist in our world. And because God persists in our world as well. Humility necessitates that we acknowledge that we don't have all the answers. Only God does. That we can't hold our world together or even our faith together by sheer force of individual will. The church has always believed that even faith itself is a gift from God. So God doesn't need us to believe in him in order to exist. Certainly, he doesn't need us to rule over creation or to rightly order his world. Yet, we all too often add all kinds of pressure to ourselves, thinking that we need to believe this or that is true. We need to have all of our theological ducks in a row. When Jesus' answer to his disciples who doubted was always the same. Come and see. Look and listen. Reach out and touch. In a word, Jesus meets doubt with experience, not with answers. Jesus meets doubt with experience. Only experiencing God and interacting with Christ embodied in our world will satisfy our doubts. Why? Because that's what we're made for. We're made to experience God. We're made to interact with the body of Christ in this world. That's a great part of our purpose. It's what the Westminster Confession says uh, we were made for—to to to know God and glorify Him forever. And experiencing and knowing God is in part experiencing and knowing Him embodied in His in His body, the Church. We experience God through prayer. And this is where we're closing this morning. Just a few examples of how we were made to experience God and experience life in the body of Christ. We experience God through prayer, not through running our list of wants and needs up the ladder to God, but really by conversing with him, spending time with him. As Richard Beck says, who's a a Catholic author, he says, prayer is hard in our skeptical age. Prayers can seem too much like magic. We wonder if prayer even works. As consumers, we're always looking for a return on our investment. And then he says, Yet atheists have shared with me how they pray and will sometimes say, I'll pray for you when people share sorrow and pain with them. The reason we say, I'll pray for you, even when we don't believe in prayer or have serious doubts of the efficacy of prayer, is that when we face great pain, we feel compelled to hallow it, to set it apart from the normal stuff of everyday life. And hallowing is enchanting. Prayer is that holy, enchanted conversation with God. It's an experience of God that cuts through the skepticism of our world and invites the supernatural to break in. Likewise, Relationships among God's people are holy, enchanted communion with the body of Christ. I don't just mean light conversation after a worship service, although that's a fine and wonderful first step. I mean relationships as deep-rooted commitment to one another, as regular loving involvement in each other's lives. Viktor Frankl was an Austrian Jew and psychologist who survived three years in four different Nazi concentration camps. After all of his suffering and doubt, he wrote uh, a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And this is what he says about doubt. Excuse me. He says, a man who becomes conscious of the responsibility he bears toward a human being who affectionately who affectionately waits for him, a man who bears, let me start that over, a man who becomes conscious of the responsibility he bears toward a human being who affectionately waits for him or an unfinished work, that man will never be able to throw away his life. And this is the the nutshell of Viktor Frankl. This man knows the why of his existence and he will be able to bear almost any how As we, so many in the church, continue to struggle with doubt, we, the whole church, must follow the example of our risen Christ. The body of Christ broadens our perspective. The church can help us see things that are far beyond our own individual abilities to see. And likewise, the church offers a depth of relational intimacy and longevity in a community, in community to all those who suffer. But this is not our act of goodness, not an act that originates with us. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we are, are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. We are the aroma of Christ. In other words, it's Christ in us. And the spirit working through us who gets all the glory the honor and the praise for it is god himself who is at work in all of us and it is all of us who are able in lamentation and in the season of lent to grieve with those who are grieving and mourn with those who are mourning to hold up those who have struggles and doubts to resist easy answers and to not offer another word but to follow the example of our lord and offer the word made flesh a relationship and life together so with that i uh, invite you to bow your heads and let's pray together father god we come to you this morning uh, there's so much going on in our world uh even some surprises in our church building this morning, and that's to say nothing of what's going on in our individual lives. But in the midst of the mess, Lord, we come to you. We thank you that in the midst of our struggles that you invite us to see yourself as the answer. That you don't just quick offer us a word and turn us away, but that you have given yourself to us that you remain with us, that your spirit indwells us, even when we sign off of Zoom, even when we continue throughout our weeks. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us a body as well, that each of us can be a part of the community and develop deep relationships with others in whom we can see your love and experience your love. God, in the midst of our many doubts, And our many different doubts i ask and we ask that your spirit would come speak your words of love help us to see to uh touch and even to smell you at work in our lives in our in in the lives of those we love uh and in your world continue to lead us and guide us holy spirit in your name we pray amen so i'm gonna offer a blessing for uh for us here on zoom and then as i said um we will try and end our service with uh the words praise god from whom all blessings flow so i'm going to be bold and uh, try and lead us in that song and i'll invite you to uh to join along either if you're able to unmute yourself do so if you're not uh you'll just have to hear me so receive god's parting blessing the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of God the Father, and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you today, this week, and always. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.